Welcome to Catechesis, a digital outreach of First Presbyterian Church of LaGrange. Catechesis is Greek for teaching. That's precisely what we will do with this podcast. Take Christians back to their roots through spoken word and study. Here's your host, Pastor James Goodlett. Welcome to Catechesis, a production of Lewis and Broad Media. My name is James Goodlett. I am one of the pastors here at First Presbyterian Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear some other podcasts of Lewis and Broad, go to lewisandbroad.org, including our flagship production, the Lewis and Broad podcast. We are about to conclude season three of Lewis and Broad. Just one more episode left, but if you want to hear others, check out our website or our social media at Lewis and Broad. Also, again, mark your calendars for May the 1st from 2 to 6 p.m. for Lewis and Broad Presents Listen LaGrange, a music festival to fight poverty. It will take place at Pure Life Studios with local singer-songwriters headlining. The festival will be John Tavius Willis. We are excited about him and look forward to having him in studio next week for the Lewis and Broad podcast. Now, on to the text for today for Catechesis, John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. I would invite you to go ahead and open your scriptures to that or pull it up on your phones or tablets or however it is you engage the scripture. And as you do so, I just want to offer up a brief word about where we are in the liturgical year. We are coming out of the season of Lent was the preparation period for Easter, and then Holy Week was last week, Monday, Thursday, Good Friday. And now we are in Eastertide, the season of Easter, which kicked off on Sunday. So in church speak, this upcoming Sunday is called the second Sunday of Easter. Eastertide itself lasts from the actual Easter Sunday all the way until Pentecost, the great birthday party of the church. It's about 50 days. Liturgical colors are white and or gold, which as a Georgia Tech fan, I love. It is a joyful season. It is a feast season. And oh, we could dive really deep and nerd out on some liturgical calendar kinds of stuff, but... We will not do that for the purposes of this podcast. But it is common in Eastertide to pick up, scripturally speaking, with the resurrection accounts. Not just the initial discovery of the empty tomb, but with Jesus' subsequent appearances to his disciples, which is exactly where we pick up today in John chapter 20, the second to last chapter in this particular gospel. Now, over the last couple of weeks, we've covered the Lucan version of the resurrection. And so because of that, I'll just catch you up a little bit about what's happening in John, where unlike in Luke, when there were multiple women attending to Jesus' tomb, all of whom went to speak to the disciples in the wake of their discovery, and the disciples by and large dismissed their story as an idle tale. That's how it goes in Luke. But in John... We only have Mary Magdalene, who is at the tomb. And it is early. It is the first day of week of the week. It's very familiar, still dark. And what does she see? She sees the stone removed from the tomb. Again, this is the first half of John chapter 20. So she sprints to the disciples, 
And she finds Peter and the unnamed disciple whom Jesus loves, about whose identity there has been much debate, but that is the subject for another podcast. And Mary Magdalene tells them what happened, what she discovered. The stone had been removed from the tomb. So Peter and this unnamed disciple cut out. And the author of this gospel makes it very plain that this unnamed disciple whom Jesus loved outran Peter to the grave, which I think is a quirky little detail of the text. And they go to see the tomb, and he bends down to look in, and they see the linen wrappings lying there, but they do not go in, or at least he does not go in, the winner of the sprint contest. Then Simon Peter comes along, follows, following him, and goes inside the tomb, and he sees the linen wrappings lying there and the cloth that had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. And the other disciple who reached the tomb first then goes in, and he sees, and he believes, for as yet, this is what it says in John 20, Verse 9, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead, and so they returned to their homes. Meanwhile, Mary Magdalene is all kinds of shook up. She's weeping, and she bends down to take a look inside the tomb, and there she sees two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had been lying, one at the head, one at the feet, and they say to her, woman, why are you weeping? Which is kind of a funny question to ask her, obviously. She's weeping because of everything that has been happening. She says to them, they've taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And then when she says this, she turns around, and she sees Jesus standing there, but she did not recognize him. And so Jesus says to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you looking for? And she thinks he's the gardener. And she somewhat accuses him. She says, sir, if you're the one who's responsible for this, if you've carried him away, please tell me where you've taken him, and I I will go get him. And then here comes the key verse in this first half of John chapter 20, in my opinion, or one of them. Jesus says to her, Mary, and she turns and says to him in Hebrew, Rabuni, which means teacher. I love that part. Because it is precisely when Jesus says her name that she realizes who he is. There's something very powerful about that part. It is when Jesus calls us by name that we recognize him. Then Jesus says, don't hold on to me. I'm not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I'm ascending to my father and your father to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene then goes and announces this to the disciples. She says, I have seen the Lord. And she tells them that he had said these things to her. That's where today's story picks up in John chapter 20, verse 19. The disciples had heard the story. It is fascinating to me. Mary Magdalene had told the them exactly what she had experienced. What are they doing later on that evening? They're not out and about looking for Jesus or spreading this rumor that he had been risen. No, what are they doing? They are huddled up in a house 
They are scared out of their wits. For fear of the Jews, it says. Their spirits, who knows what their spirits were like? Who knows if they really believed her? Her actions don't seem to indicate that they really believed her. They are just chilling at a house, locking the doors, don't want anybody inside, and all of a sudden, bam! Jesus is there in their midst, and he very appropriately says to them, peace be with you, and he shows them his hands and his side to prove that it's really him, and the disciples rejoice, which I just want to talk a little bit about a couple elements of this story that I love that I think are really preachable. And I think that we have to consider. First, the, the peace be with you. There are three of them in this scriptural section alone, verses 19 through 31. Three peace be with yous. Because Jesus knows the hell that these disciples have been through. It, it's not to say that their experience in any way compares to what he had to endure But these disciples were grieving, they were questioning, they were doubting, they were fearing for their lives, they were wondering if everything they thought they knew and believed was actually true. And so on one level, when Jesus says, peace be with you, it's it's like he's saying, listen, I know this, this is kind of crazy, this is wild. You, You may be freaking out a little bit, so peace be with you. But on another level, Jesus is like, seriously though, all jokes aside, you can be at peace because I really am here. Which preaches because it means that in the midst of our own personal hells, Jesus says to us, peace be with you. Peace be with you in our doubts, in our fears, in our anxiety, in our questions. When we want to lock ourselves in a room and hide underneath the covers, Jesus says to us, peace be with you. He meets us right there. The other thing I really want to talk about, and and I'm curious about what this might mean for y'all, but his resurrection is so bodily. I mean, I, I guess there's this, there's this presumption that when we die, our souls or our spirits will lift up to the heavens. Our bodies will stay here on earth or whatever that might be. And who is to say what, what that looks like? But, but when we look at Jesus's resurrection accounts. And when we look at this one in particular, Jesus is like, nope, it's, this is really me. This is really me. Look here. Look, look at my scars. Look at my hands. Look at my wrists. Look at my back. Look at my side. This thing that he had to endure, he still carries with him to some extent. And I guess you could say he redeems it. 
even in his own death and resurrection? What does it mean that his resurrection is bodily? Not just a spirit thing, but a bodily resurrection. And what does that say about our own bodies and how we treat them now? And then Jesus says to them, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. So let's not forget what just had happened to Jesus. He had died. He had been through it. And now Jesus is like, okay, I've, I've done what I came to do. Now it's your turn. I can't make any promises about it being easy. Look what happened to me. But, but you are looking at living, breathing proof that what I was saying is true. And, and let's be clear. Jesus isn't just talking to the disciples in the room. He is saying this to all of us. As I was sent, so are you. Disciples listeners, as I was sent, so are you. And you are to do exactly what I did. You are to forgive, you are to heal, you are to preach, you are to do the work and roll up your sleeves. Now, in this scripture, there's a lot of focus on Thomas. Poor Thomas. Talk about FOMO fear of missing out. This brother certainly missed out, and it earned him the nickname that has lasted him centuries, Doubting Thomas. Can you imagine being saddled with that for 2,000 years? Good grief. Tell me something. If you were in his shoes... If you were in Thomas's shoes and you had just stepped out for, we don't know what he was doing, but if you just stepped out and then you come back, you do some sort of secret knock so they let you in the door. And your friends are like, dude, you will not believe what just happened. And they tell him, and Thomas is like, you're right, I, I don't believe you. I'm not sure I would have believed him. But I also have to wonder if his statement in verse 25, he says, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails in my hand in his side, I will not believe. I know it's easy to say, well, that brother's doubting here. But what if he's just, what if it's a statement of desire? What if he's like, Y'all got to see this and do, I, I want to do this too. I, I guess I, what I'm saying is I feel this need to redeem Thomas because I've been him. We all have. And the thing is, Jesus eventually redeems him too. He meets him where he is one week later, which probably that had to have been a very long week. But anyways, one week later, the doors are shut, and Jesus does it again. And this time, Thomas is with him. And he says to Thomas, here I am. Here are my scars. Don't doubt, but believe. And true to Jesus' form, he gives Thomas exactly what he needs 
but he also uses it as a teaching opportunity and says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe, which again is where he's speaking to us. Blessed are we who have not seen and yet come to believe. My last little bit I'm going to say is, is by no means original, although you could make the argument that nothing I say is original. These scriptures have been preached for a long time. There were, they hit me at this point in time, but New Testament scholar Jamie Clark Souls, she writes in a commentary and points out a really helpful trend that happens here in John chapter 20. Mary Magdalene doesn't fully trust or believe until she sees Jesus for herself. And so then what does she do? She goes and tells the disciples. Well, then the disciples don't really fully trust or believe until they see Jesus for themselves. And so then they tell Thomas. And then Thomas doesn't fully trust or believe until he sees for himself. And then it moves to us. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. The ball is in our court. The ball is in our court. What are we going to do? If we're being honest, we're probably Thomas. We doubt. But what this scripture is pushing us to do is to believe and to trust even when we have not seen. What will it take for us to do that? What will it take for you to do that? What will it take for us and for you to move beyond doubt and believe? Rest assured, the scripture tells us one thing, that no matter where it is we are, Jesus will meet us there. A lot happening in this scripture, but that does wrap up Catechesis for John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. Hope you will join us for worship on Sunday. You can watch us online. Find us on YouTube at FPC, First Presbyterian Church, LaGrange, Georgia. Find us on Facebook at FPC LaGrange. Follow us along fpclagrange.org, on lewisandbra.org. We've got lots of ways you can engage us, and we would love for you to do that. But as always, please, beloved, remember who and whose you are, and we will talk to you next time. Thanks for joining us this week at Catechesis. Be sure to follow along on our websites, lewisandbra.org and fpclagrange.org. See you next week.